Thanks for joining us this evening. This is the fourth and final installment in our four-part uh, segment on the uh, Ordinary Church in Extraordinary Times. The webinar, we're looking at what we're learning from this time in the pandemic. And I wanna begin again by thanking the Office of General Assembly. They've been extraordinarily helpful in getting this put together and especially uh, Zaneda Bermudez, who is co-hosting and hopefully has started our recording uh, for this evening. And I'm uh, so grateful for her and for all the help that uh, the whole office given to us to put this on. <clears throat> As usual, uh, and those of you who have been with us before, we start with a presentation and then we'll enter into uh, some discussion time with the uh, small church planning team around some questions that uh, we've come up with based on what will be presented, and then uh, it'll be open to you to ask additional questions. You can do that through the chat feature that's available to you. Uh, you can go down to the bottom of your screen and click chat, and the box will come up, and you can write in your question, and we'll address it uh, during the Q&A time. Uh, you can also raise your hand. <clears throat> that feature is in the participants. If you push the participants button down at the bottom, you'll get a list of everybody that's on and then you can find your name and there's a place for you to click where you can raise your hand and ask a question. Uh, as I've said, uh, this is being recorded and the notes for this will be uh, sent out with the recording uh, either tomorrow or sometime next week. And uh, I just wanna again, thank you all for joining us. And I want to acknowledge the EPC Small Ordinary Church planning team. Uh, Josh Mazinski from Mid-Atlantic, Doug Walker from Florida, Brian Evans, Midwest, the Scott Downing from the Southwest Pacific, and Ed McCallum, World Outreach, and Zach S. Wine from Mid-America. And I'm Roy Yankee from the Midwest, Ruling Elder. And uh, it's just been great to work with this team, putting this together, and uh, hopefully all of you have been helped learn something from this time together. So again, two takeaways uh, that we've hoped uh, has, have happened through this whole time is that we've learned some things about how to face the challenges that have become uh, very uh, clear to us during this time and see it as an opportunity for greater ministry and then also that we can sense our solidarity, our togetherness in this as leaders in the ordinary church. So tonight uh, we're going to be talking about the tech challenge and I'm sure all of you are really excited uh, to explore that. Uh, probably had enough of Zoom meetings, even as we're on one this evening. So uh, I wanna begin with just a couple of statements and then turn it over to our presenter. Um, the inability to meet in person, I think has forced us all into new territory, unquestioningly. Our focus tonight is gonna be on the challenges, the successes, and the failures of relying, or even not relying if we've been unable, on technology to worship, to teach, and to connect with our congregations. One big question that we need to grapple with is how will technology shape our future ministry? What are the precautions, the possibilities, and the results? A Barna study recently done, the State of the Church 2020, and this was done I think probably a month or so ago, uh, reported that they uh, collected data uh, in December of 2019 
and it confirmed the resistance to the use of technology in the church, citing that while the use of technology has grown in the last decade, it was still a novelty in the church with just 2% of practicing Christians saying that they attend a church that produces a digitally videotaped or live stream service. Now, COVID-19, though, has changed that statistic dramatically. How great its influence is on churches remains to be seen. For now, though, the question is whether or not churches that were forced into the world of technology will continue to use such services for ministry and in what ways. So that's what we're looking at tonight. And tonight, our presenter is Josh Brzezinski. Uh, he is the pastor of Riceville Valley Community Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, we're excited for Josh to come and present for us tonight, and then we'll get into some of the questions. So, Josh, I'm going to find your name and unmute you. And there you go. All right. Um, well, thanks, Roy. And uh, before we get started, like Roy said, this is our last of four. And if this has been a blessing for you, um, I know it has been for me. Um, I just, would you join me and just kind of, you can, you can hit the little emoji to raise your hand. You can clap online, but will you give Roy Yankee a hand? Because this guy has worked a lot for an entire year putting this together. So Roy, we're, we're grateful for you. Thank you. And uh, before I get going, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask the Lord to bless what we're going to do. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly father, um, what we're looking at, it, uh, it can be just as secular as it can be holy. Um, and yet we're going to talk about it and we're going to ask that you would show us what of it you desire, what of it you're calling to be yours. Um, Lord, bless this conversation. Help us to talk about what the role is of technology in the small church, especially after COVID-19. Um, Lord, give us the grace to, uh, to see with eyes that you have for us and ears to hear for what you have for us and nothing else. It's in your name. We pray Christ. Amen. Well, uh, I, my name is Josh Madrinsky, as Roy said, and uh, I'm here in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, just so you know, our church is, we're, we're a little, I like to say we're in the rural part of Asheville. We're, we're less in the hip part of Asheville. Um, our church has been here since about the 1800s, uh, late 1800s. And so we're just a, just a little Presbyterian church on a hill. And the reason I'm talking about this this morning is not because I uh, am some kind of expert in technology, um, but two reasons, really. One is I, I, I believe in the model of the small church. Um, I believe that it's important. I believe that it's very intentional. Um, I believe that the small church uh, doesn't exist to do everything, but it exists to do some specific things. Uh, along with that, um, I've, I've been very fortunate to see how technology can help or expand the ministries of the small church. Um, I've been fortunate to, to work with course design, um, with, with seminary and with nonprofits, um, and just see some some neat things come about with not only information dissemination, but also seeing God show up online, which is really exciting. Uh, perhaps you've experienced that during COVID. I know even just this week for myself, 
we had an online prayer call with our presbytery. There's some beautiful moments where the Spirit of God showed up. Um, even yesterday, uh, if you all had a chance to get on the, the call with um, the looking at just racial, racial reconciliation in our denomination, that was a powerful first step in our denomination. And it's all happening via technology. Um, so what is the role of technology post-COVID-19 for us? Honestly, I, don't, I, I can't say yes or no for any of us that technology is going to be a bigger piece moving forward. But what I want to encourage us to do is at least have a conversation with your session or with your leadership team. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's kind of like asking Presbyterians to be Presbyterian, right? I want you to go have a meeting and talk about what does this look like for us? What is this going to look like for us? And um, to do that, to help you do that, what I want to give you today is just four questions. What are four questions you can be asking with your session or with your leadership team that explores, you know, should we be doing this? Should we be doing more? Should we be doing less? And uh, hopefully, hopefully this uh, will be of help in some form or fashion. Uh, but as we jump in, I just wanted to start with scripture. Um, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn. I'll read it for us, though. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start right at verse 19. This will probably be a familiar passage. So once again, that's 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this passage for me has been a constant source of invitation as a pastor. Um, I don't know about you all, but uh, this is one of those that uh, I have ever so eloquently mounted right next to my desk via a sticky note. It's just it's pasted right there, and it's a constant reminder that I have comfort zones and preferences when it comes to ministry. People I'd like to talk to, people maybe I don't prefer to talk to things I'd like to do, things I'd prefer not to do. And it is a reminder to me constantly that in Christ, I can do infinitely more than all those things, especially in ministry. And this is one of those beauties that I love of watching in Paul's ministry. We see this. Um, uh, he makes it very obvious at times that he could, he could be very entitled. He is a Jew of Jews, after all. Um, but you see in Paul's ministry over and over again, he constantly is trying to figure out ways to put Jesus front and center and take himself out of the picture. And it's often based on who he's talking to. Who's the who for Paul? Um, and this is going to be kind of our guiding force for our talk tonight is this verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Um, 
is technology something that God's calling your community out this season um, to reach others? And even if it feels challenging for the sake of the gospel, um, I'm going to talk about technology primarily in a positive light, um, though it's not always positive. And we're going we're to bring that up from time to time. Um, but so to begin, our first question this evening is, does increasing our technology increase our access? Does increasing technology increase our access? You know, in the world of counting views and clicks and opens and all these different things, as a church, the only real thing we ever could get out of that is access. You can't measure discipleship through a video. You can't measure um, fellowship. Uh, you can't hardly even measure aha moments. Um, you can only measure access. What kind of access do we have to people? But if it's for the sake of the gospel, then access is rather important. Would you agree? Access is important. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, so at the beginning of COVID-19, we did not own a camera. And uh, as a matter of fact, we were one of those people who I, I can remember when we realized, hey, this is serious. Maybe we should get a camera. I, I ran to Best Buy right away, ran in there, found a sales consultant, started talking about cameras and we're going back and forth. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I think this is, I think this is what we need. And he's like, oh, we don't have any in stock. Those were gone like a week ago. Oh, okay which was a great move for us because it enabled us to go back and ask ourselves, what do we really need? But it wasn't until COVID, you know, that we owned a camera that we were doing YouTube. This is all new for us. Um, and yet one of the interesting things we're learning is as we watch, look at our YouTube stuff and who watches, you know, you can look at our YouTube channels. It's paltry. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, but we know how many family units we have in our church and we know who's watching and we have a pretty good idea when we go fairly over that. Um, what does that mean? It just means we have access. It means that somehow, some way, we're getting access to people who would not typically be part of our community. Um, I like the way I, I, I wrote it down when he said it, Zach, a few weeks ago, in talking about online access, um, he said that their church is beginning to notice the people in the margins or on the margins. Um, and I thought that was a great way of putting it. We're, we're, we're seeing people who are on the margins. We wouldn't have seen them before if it wasn't for this. Um, why is that important? Well, I like to joke with our session. Um, once again, we're, we're just, you know, we're that little postcard, little white Presbyterian church on a hill, white, got the steeple, the double doors that open from the front go in. You take about eight steps inside that church and you are now walking down the aisle to the church. Um, maybe you can picture this little country Presbyterian church. And I joke with our, our folks that we're, we're the little white fortress on a hill. And I'm not referencing a Martin Luther song. Um, it's a joke because I say we're the little white fortress on a hill. Because to an unchurched person or somebody at least unfamiliar with our church, they might as well be walking through the front gates of Mordor when they walk through those two front doors. They have no idea what's on the other side of those doors. Well, why is it important to have an online presence? Um, for us, what we're noticing is most people, at least, I'll, and I'll say for, for us, 
um, and this will be an interesting question to hear what other folks have to say. Um, most of our young families that have become part of our church in the last two years uh, told me very honestly, um, we scouted you first online before we came. We looked at what you had. And we have a, once again, a dismal online, uh, online presence. We have a web page and a little Facebook page. Uh, and now apparently we have a YouTube channel. Um, but everybody wanted to look at us first before they walked in the door. This is just my belief. But I believe because uh, of just the patterns we've developed through COVID-19, this is becoming more and more the way people just are doing life. You know, it's whether it's buying a pair of shoes, um, what's the best hike in your area, or should I go visit that church? You will first get scouted online. Um, one of the first questions I think we ask as a session or as a leadership group is if we decide to, to make the commitment to doing some sort of technology, does it give us more access to people? Um, and that's a question for y'all. The second question is, can we do it well? Can we do it well? And I'm gonna give you a surprising answer to this. Um, this answer matters so much less than you think. <laughs> it really does. The reason we ask this question is so that we can go ahead and just kind of get it out because people will think it's important, but it's just not that important. It's not that important. Um, I'm sure you've, you've all heard the, the bad stories of, of the live streams. Um, one of my favorite things I saw on social media at the beginning of COVID-19 was a Facebook post that it just said, please pray for my pastor as they try to figure out how to do a live stream that doesn't look like a terrorist hostage video. And uh, I, I like, yeah, that, that resonates a little too deeply right now. Um, but you've heard the bad stories, you know, well, our church went to do a live stream and then the whole internet crashed or the camera stopped working or the, the computer started, started doing an update right in the middle of the service and the whole thing, you know, went haywire. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think doing it well, and it's not to say that we don't try to do things well, but if it becomes that hang up for us, that thing where it's like, well, can we do it really well? It's not the most important question in the room. Um, are you all familiar with Carl Vodders by chance? He wrote the book, The Grasshopper Myth. Great small church thinker, um, ordinary church thinker. And he has a, a, a great little uh, blog he, he writes on. And, and recently he put out an article. It says, it's called, So Your Small Church Live Stream Stinks. Here, here's why that's okay. Uh, and he goes on to say, top-notch video production is not what the typical small congregation expects or needs from their church leaders. Um, and he basically goes on to say, the best part of what, what the small church offers is in its relationships, it's in its fellowships, it's in its discipleship. All these other things are peripheral pieces helping people get to the meat of what it means to be a small church. Um, an example of this in our own context, and I, I talked about our paltry website. Um, you know, I try not to, to have a moment here where I, 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 I lament some of my, my brokenness, but it's one of those pieces for me. I always think, oh, we've got to do our website better. Oh, it's just, it's so pathetic. You know, it's static most of the time. And, and I remember we had this guy, visitor come into a church and I'd met him previously. He, he was a web designer for a local college. 
and we were having a conversation about his job and he just kind of as an aside said hey i wanted to tell you by the way you, i really like your all's website and i thought oh my gosh he's being facetious here we go he's about to rail into our website and then he just kept going and he said you know I, I, i'm looking for a smaller church and it was just you'd be surprised how many churches don't have a website or what they do have lacks the common information like your address the service time just little tiny pieces that just let me know who you are, where you are and what you're doing. That was really informative to me because what he basically told me is I don't look for your website to see the next big thing. I just need to know where you're at. Who are you? What are you doing? And that's it. Um, I think if we turn the technology talk coming out of this COVID season to how do we launch the next big technology thing, that's not, that's not what we exist to do for the most part, unless you just have extremely gifted people in your church, that that is their ministry. Otherwise, you know, all this is really helping people get to the meat of who we are. And that is we are great at discipleship and fellowship. Uh, we're a community that's, that's enjoyable to belong to following Jesus Christ. Um, so that's question number two is, is can we do it well? And, and how important is that question? Um, question number three, what kind of technology often works in a small church? So maybe you're thinking about it. We've got some ideas. We're wondering, maybe we should do this. It feels like we've got, we started down the road. What kind of technology works? I'm going to give you the answer. Easy technology works for the small church. Easy technology works. Um, this is something that COVID has taught me in spades. Um, as we've tried to do a few different things, if it's not easy, it's probably not the best option for your church. Um, I'm just curious here if you, you, know, you want to raise your hand or use the little raise hand emoji thing if you don't have your camera on. Who, who on here are the DIYer types? You know, do-it-yourselfers. Yeah, you know who you are. You, yeah. Duct tape, WD-40, and a good YouTube video. You can fix about anything. Um, I think the small church draws those DIYer types because it, that's kind of half the rush of, of being in a small church is you never know what you're going to have to deal with, and, it, and it's you at the end of the day. Here's one of the problems for, and I put my hand up as the DIYer type. Um, I love to just go for it, try to fix it on my own. And, you know, let's just see how it goes. Let's give it a shot. Um, in this conversation, I think it's important that we don't push our DIY mindset onto our folks. Um, and this is why. Most of the stuff in, in, in your average smaller church is volunteer-led. Amen. And it's not always, but a lot of it is. And one of the questions I've learned to ask is when we want to implement something new, it's not, do we have somebody to do it? It's, do we have somebody to do it when that person goes on vacation or can't show up for a Sunday or gets sick or has a work thing that they just, they, they're committed to. An example of what I'm talking about is we'll go back to the camera. We finally purchased for, videotaping our, our, our services. Um, in, the, in the world of recording, if, if, for those of you who are familiar with this or thinking about it, you've, you've got two signals. You've got your audio signal and your video signal. And we knew that we were going to run our audio signal out of this little tiny soundboard we had. And it was going to run 
and coordinate with the video signal. And there's two ways you can do that. You can get a little box and put the audio in there and then you sync it to the video or you just run it straight to the video and it syncs itself. Well, as we were researching this, I thought, well, how hard is it to sync those two together? And I realized it, it takes somebody that knows what they're doing. Right there, immediate flag. We need to pay an, another $150 to get a camera where that can plug straight into that. Because if, it, if our online presence is dependent upon people, volunteers coming in and syncing the audio and the video signals every Sunday, that's not good technology for us. Um, I think this pans its way out in a lot of different ways. Um, and I, I know for myself, sometimes when we look at things, we, we think we want to get the best. We want to get the best our money can buy. Um, I would encourage you, if, if you're looking at different technological pieces, because we are so volunteer-led, always ask yourself, can we afford or do we even know what the easiest way to do this is? And here's one of the great things I, I found during COVID. Um, anybody here familiar with the company B&H Photo? out of New York, big time photo, audio, visual kind of company. Um, I called them up because I just, I, I got to the point where I was like, I don't, I, I've read every blog post that I possibly can on a video camera, DIYer, and I still wasn't feeling comfortable with where we were going. And as it turns out, you know, I said, hey, we're a church that's like this. This is what we want to do. This is all we want to do. And the guy said, oh, I've gotten a ton of calls from guys just in your situation. I think you'll be surprised by how many people actually know your situation. And in, in the world of the ordinary church, we often assume that people don't understand our situation, but there's a lot of people that, and, and they understand the situation that, and you don't want to spend $5,000 on this. Um, they want to work with you and help you figure out what you need. Um, so don't be afraid to reach out and find the easy solutions. And, and, and I think that as you talk about that with your session, You've got to know what easy looks like for yourselves. Who are your, who are your people? What are your gifts and talents? What needs to be easy for whatever you're thinking about? And that can be anything from if it's a website, you know, do we have somebody that's great and a web designer wants to volunteer to update it? No, we don't. So we need a very simple static website with the basic information if we want to start a website, right? Um, and then question four, is how will technology shape our future ministry? How will technology shape our future ministry? This is, this is the big question. Um, I said that I've, I've had a, a past in this. Um, I can remember in my seminary days, which were about a little over 10 years ago, uh, one of the big questions I, I loved exploring and writing on was, how does technology impact the dis discipleship, the people we're becoming? Um, like for instance, we have a lot of virtual presence. Who are we becoming? Um, I think the, the bigger technology questions today are less about who are we becoming and more about how do people know who we are, which I've been alluding to. Um, we're such an incredibly connected world right now. Um, I would venture to guess that if, if, um, we're willing to, to take those risks and, and see what's out there. You'll find that there are a lot of ministries that you do that would benefit from 
some form of, of expanding your technology. And I don't say that to sell you on it. I, I, I say that to honestly ask yourselves, um, what does it mean to, to be all things to all people that by all means we might reach some? And so what I want to do with this last question is I'm just going to give you some, some creative thoughts, some things to think about. If you had this, what could you do with it? Um, and I'll just, I'll just dive right into it. For example, um, maybe your church doesn't have a web page yet. Uh, and you're thinking, I don't know, you know, that just seems like a lot of work. Um, I would encourage you, deeply encourage you, start asking questions. Um, I know in our presbytery, the PMA, Presbytery Mid-Atlantic, um, one of the things we're doing as small churches is we're starting to ask our presbytery, hey, could you help us? Could you help us get basic resources to build web pages? It's a conversation that's being had. It's not a conversation that is anywhere close to resolved. But I think it's one of those things where if, if it's an honest, constant question that your small church is having your presbytery, we need a web page, but we just don't know how to build one. I think this is something that presbyteries can, and, and, and I, I hope you know, somebody's going to be like, hey, that Josh guy said our presbytery is going to build us a web page. I didn't say that. <laughs> but, but I think it's a conversation worth trying to have with your presbytery and say, this is a, a constant need from smaller churches is we need help with web pages. Can you help us? Um, I think that's a, it, it, it's going to be a conversation that ha happens more and more and more. Um, especially because it may be the easiest form of outreach you have to your community is just to say, we're here, we're here, here we are. You can look at us now. Um, no more having to storm the gates of Mordor, so to speak. Uh, a second thing, and, and, and probably some of you are doing this and some of you are very leery of doing this, and that is having a Facebook page for your church. This is one of the easiest things to do because odds are you have one person in your church that loves Facebook. <laughs> they love it. And if you told them, would you be our, or ask them, if, would you be our Facebook kind of ministry coordinator? Um, call it what you will. Uh, you'd be surprised what people get excited about, especially if you know you're one of those churches, we're not going to have a dynamic webpage. It's just going to have basic information. You know, most people know, if you really want to know what's going on in an organization, look at their Facebook page, because that's a living record, a living document of who they are and what they're doing. Uh, pictures get posted, announcements get posted. You don't have to have a dynamic web page if you have somebody that's just doing a basic Facebook page for you. Um, one, a really neat thing I saw somebody do recently is they, they, were, well, they mentioned that uh, what they do with their church's Facebook page is they use it to go like all the local businesses in their area and to leave feedback for them. That's the equivalent basically of setting your business card on every business in your area's desk and saying, we support, because what you're doing is you're, you're initiating the community there. You're helping form that community. And especially for those of us who might be in smaller, smaller parts of communities, um, building in that way, I, I don't think there's anything like it outside of going door to door trying to establish those relationships, which is not a bad idea either, but this could be a first, first round of that. Um, so starting with that Facebook page, um, recording your services, recording your Bible studies. Hey, maybe that's something you do want to give it a shot at or you're already doing. Um, YouTube's free. Uh, you know, um, one of the things that I know our church is exploring is 
does this create a new shut-in service for us where, you know, do our shut-ins who have computers, um, can we just go and hang out with them and just set up a, a little one item click where the, all they have to do is click on that and it takes them to the YouTube page. So Sunday afternoon after the thing gets posted, they can, they can join on. Or maybe it's they don't have a computer or a tablet and the church purchases that for them and sets it up and says, hey, we want you to stay involved. Look, you can be a part of the service every single Sunday. Um, for some people, that is a remarkable joy. Um, I, I even have somebody in our own congregation who that is, that is the way she connects. That is the way she loves to connect. She's in her 90s. And it is just a sheer joy for her to, to be able to keep up. So when I go visit her, we already have stuff to talk about because she's keeping track of it. Um, something that came up last week and, uh, and it's kind of a, a, you know, based on who you are and what you do is online giving. Um, and I just wanted to touch on it really quickly here. Um, there's a, an online giving platform called Tithely and they, they run a, a decent little blog on the side and I was reading from their blog. And uh, so take this with a grain of salt, because once again, this is what they do. But uh, they were saying 10 things they predict after COVID-19 for churches. And one of them is that church giving will be 80% online. Church giving will be 80% online. But they went on to note that by the year 2025, the primary givers in the church and churches will be millennials and Gen Z. And their primary way they understand giving is online. And so the way I've interpreted that is, does it behoove us as a church, even though it may not be our favorite platform, does it behoove us as a church to start initiating online giving now so that not only does that create opportunities for, for current givers, but it also creates opportunities for those who really, that's the way they give, to start developing that discipline and ministry of giving to the church. Um, and and, and, and truthfully, it's not just young people. It's funny. We, so once again, this is something we started doing in COVID. We opened up a PayPal account and started doing giving online. I actually had people in their 50s and 60s come up to me and say, you know, the church was the only thing I ever write a check for anymore. And excited we're doing online giving now. I was a little surprised by that. Um, but that's, it. like we said last week, for some churches, your people are like, this does not feel safe to me. And so you just, you have to have that conversation with your, with your folks, if that feels good for you. Um, anybody on here doing small groups online during this time? Zoom. Yeah. Uh, I know <laughs> right now, Zoom feels like it's the new four letter word. Um, this too shall pass, I think. <laughs> um, but, but online small groups is an incredible way to connect people, especially if you have a large area you're drawing from. Um, I know we have folks that they live, you know, 40 miles from, from our church. They love it. They love it because it's hard for them to get to it. Once again, especially your shut-ins, they love being able to connect online and do Zoom small groups. That's something to consider. 15-minute um, pastoral calls via Zoom. Do you have that family that is so busy? They have zero time. It's so hard to get on their schedule. Maybe the best way you can do a pastoral call with them is say, hey, I know you all are super busy. Do you got 15 minutes before or after a dinner this week that we can just connect online? I'd love to see your family. I'd love to see that big dog you keep talking about. And we'll just chat and I, and I just want to hear how you're doing and we'll pray and then you all can keep going. That is so much easier, especially for young families 
They don't have to clean the whole house. I mean, we all know how this works. We clean the, the one corner that we're going to put on the camera and that's all we have to worry about, right? And, the, and so that's the exact, there you go. There's your corners, right? Everybody's got their clean corner. And so, and that's the same for them. I don't have to clean the whole house for the pastor to come over. I don't have to make a dinner. We don't have to, you know, do the whole hospitality thing. I can pull off 15 minutes and we can hopefully get our kids to behave for 15 minutes. Um, that might be a really easy way for you to have that first pastoral call with a family is just, let's just do it online. Oh, okay. Um, perhaps you bought a camera like us and you're like, well, we're going to try to keep using it, but boy, that was a big investment. Um, do you have a youth group or a youth leader that would love, you know, we used to do skits back in the day. Kids don't find skits is fun maybe, but they do love to make short films. Could you make some short films to present to your, to your congregation on a Sunday morning um, where they write the scripts and perform it? Um, they get to be on screen. That makes a lot of sense to a kid these days. I get to be on screen. Um, and one more quick idea in, uh, I'm, I'm kind of speaking from the, the family perspective here is uh, maybe over COVID-19, you really beefed up your internet connection because you're like, we're gonna stream, we're gonna do some more stuff. And so you've got this stout internet connection at your church now. Um, but you don't really do a lot with it. Um, I know where we live and I know in a lot of other locations, people have no idea what school is going to look like when we start back up in the fall. Um, I hear a lot of people talking about staggered, um, staggered days where, you know, kids will go some days and then they'll do virtual learning at home. I know one of the, the pieces for us have been in our areas, you know, the school provides the kid with a device, but that doesn't mean that the family's got internet or reliable internet. Could your church host a Wednesday study hall session where kids can just come bring their device and connect in and you're there to work with them, you make snacks, and just every week or twice a week, you open up your fellowship hall with that monstrous, you know, wonderful internet connection that you have and just let kids come in and do study hall. You don't even have to do tutoring. You just do study hall and you just hang out with them and have conversations. Maybe tutoring happens. Um, these are just a few ideas to get, get you thinking. Um, none of them are concrete and none of them are by far perfect or necessarily for you. Um, but kind of just one final thought is, uh, at, as we approach this, this is something that, you know, I, I said this at the beginning, but I, I, I believe it right now, is something that we can bring under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, we can discern this. And, and I think if the Lord is doing something, he, he will move our sessions, he will move our leadership teams. And, I think it takes a conversation to have that though. So um, as you're coming out of this season, well, I don't know if we're coming out of it, but you know where we're at. <laughs> um, and your leadership is talking about what's next. Um, I just really want to encourage you, have the conversation about could technology help us with moving the gospel in our, in our place? Um, you might come up with some pretty wonderful and amazing thoughts that are just sitting right there under your nose. So with that, uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you, Roy. Great. Thanks, Josh. Some good stuff there. And just the, the idea of, of conversations is so, so very critical. Um, just really uh, excited about the conversations we're going to have right now. So I'm, I'm trying to unmute everybody here, uh, find everyone who's uh, on the team and unmute them. And uh, so let's make sure. Um, okay. Some are not 
unmuting. Uh, are you there, Scott? Yes, I am. Okay, good. And uh, let's see. Who else? Okay. Uh, Ed, you're there? I'm here. All right, good. I think I got everybody now. Zach, you're there? I am. Awesome. All right, good. Yeah, this is one of those things about technology, <laughs> trying to find everybody to unmute. All right, great. So good stuff. And um, I think that it's going to give us a lot of opportunity to discuss this. Uh, Brian couldn't be with us tonight. So uh, it's the rest of us here. So I guess I want to begin with the question. Um, you know, as you as you have either uh, planned for technology use in your sp specific situation, or you've experienced it as a as a part of the leadership team, what do you think are uh, what's a specific aspect of technology that you see your church growing in because of this? What's your because of what you're learning about technology during this time? Is there a specific aspect of it that you feel has really risen to the top and said, this is the thing that we need to, to really consider or, uh, uh, you know, take advantage of? So I'm going to, I'm going to throw that to Doug first. I'm um, going to throw him on the hot seat first uh, and then we'll kick it around. So Doug, uh, what, what have been your guys' experience? Uh, we're, we're probably, uh, maybe a half a step, a step ahead of uh, Josh's uh, situation there. We we actually had a camera and we were experimenting with stream uh, prior to COVID. So we had just a little bit of a head start, but we had a lot of um, adjusting and, and what not to do. But I think to, to answer your question, what has been most um, surprising to us is the consistency in our Sunday morning discipleship classes um, over the Zoom platform. And um, our two Sunday school teachers are, are not utilizing our, our, our church, actually, um, like so many other things, we, we figured, well, let's, let's get a Zoom account so that we can have an, at least an unlimited time frame for those meetings that we need to have and whatnot. But what we ended up doing is we you know we we can't have the account shared during our sunday school hour on sunday morning so um the two sunday school teachers are using their personal accounts which are basically 40 minutes of free time and that is it has been remarkably successful in that uh, they've settled in to about 12 to, to 15 uh, class members in each one which is more than ever really attended on a consistent basis when we were holding Sunday school in person. And it has been just a, a great experience for us. So the, in the uh, class leaders are forced to figure out how are we going to do this in 39 minutes and uh, how are we going to do it well. And then um, uh, there has just been a faithful following. So because of the way we're reopening, Sunday school or adult discipleship, children's ministry, it's just not gonna happen for a while. So this is gonna carry on for quite some time and we've been very pleased by the way Sunday school classes over the Zoom platform have been working. 
Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, done that with the, the children's ministry. Um, they've done some videos for the kids every week um, up until the typical summer break, which has just happened. But uh, so that's been a real advantage in staying connected with the kids. Yeah. Scott, as you've kept your ear to the ground of the, the rural churches, um, what are you finding out there in terms of, of technology that they're really leaning into? Um, what's What's been going on there? Yeah, some rural areas don't have as good of access in terms of internet. And it gets quite difficult in some places, especially for those of you who may use Hughes internet, it's, it's, uh, its platform's not very stable. But having said that, uh, those, those churches in those areas, they're really, they're really struggling to, to maintain contact with everybody if, if the rural area is more than about 700 people. If it's a smaller town, they, you know, they run into each other and various other just being in town, seeing each other. In a larger area, there's those who don't have good access are struggling. However, those that do have at least a decent access have found, like I have found, and I think many of you have, that this isn't the same as school. This is people who know each other for the most part, people who've seen each other. There is an intimacy that comes over even using Zoom. There is a friendship that is expressed, and I have found in talking with pastors, they expected it to be slightly more cold or formal, but in fact, it's been quite different. I, you know, I have the cat jump up on my shoulder every once in a while, and you might think that's a distraction, but in fact, people find that endearing a lot of times. It's, it's something, unless you're a dog person, of course, but the, the, uh, there's something about not just seeing uh, the, the person, but part of the personality of their life. And that intimacy has, I think, surprised people. They thought technology would be cold and formal, and they found it to be quite reassuring and relaxing, and they love it. They love it. And to be honest with you, um, and I think some of you have had these same fears, some are a little worried that this now becomes the replacement for some of the people in the congregation that, uh, you know, from, from then on, it's uh, Sundays on the couch or... Uh, some other expression, but it's really gone well, better than anyone expected. It's performed very well. Yeah, we're going to come back to that question in a minute, because I think that's an important one for us as leaders to address, not only for ourselves and how we approach this, but how to communicate that, you know, to, to the congregation. So, uh, Zach, I'm going to bump it to you. What, uh, what have you guys been finding in terms of, you know, this is the thing we want to make sure that uh, we, we take out of this? Well, I think we've learned that um, if you can't be, you know, in the past, if you couldn't be in an elders meeting because you were traveling, we just felt you couldn't be there. And now we realize, well, we still could. Yeah. Even if we're all meeting now in person, we realize now, oh, someone could still join in, mm -hmm. uh, even if they're at a distance. So we're going to keep that. And another thing that is surprising is uh, we – there was a, a church we partner with in New Zealand. They're in a, a church plant in a in a uh, as a Christian minority. They've had very difficult time finding uh, a pa someone to come help preach, so the pastor can have a break. And uh, that pastor brewer reached out and said, "Can we can we use your sermon?" 
Uh, can I introduce you to the congregation? Can you just acknowledge us, you know, as you begin the, the service, the message or whatever, and so that he can have a break. And, well, we never thought about that before, how that could go in reverse as well uh, as a way to support uh, a small church that has a hard time finding <laughs> folks to help. Uh, on occasion, maybe that's a way we can can partner together. Similarly, this past Sunday, we um, checked in with uh, Pastor Sean Boone, who's planning a church near Ferguson, Missouri, that we're African-American pastor that we're partnering with. And he, you know, I inter he and I did an interview, even though we're in separate places, and it dawned on us well, why we could do that in the future um, instead of thinking we can't connect unless one of us can be there. Um, there are ways that could be supplemental that yeah. we could still do uh, to help us stay a little bit connected. And so those were some, those are supplemental things I'm talking about, but we didn't, I, I didn't have those on my radar when all this started. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's again, some of the, the out of the box thinking that you can do. Uh, based on the questions that Josh presented to us. Uh, it's really good stuff. By the way, uh, side note on that, if, if you uh, do, anybody listening, if you do Zoom meetings for your sessions, make sure that you uh, amend your bylaws <laughs> and, and get that in there because all of us have built our bylaws around physical presence and you do have to make sure that that piece is in there. Just a FYI for you there. So, uh, Ed, in, in, uh, in your situation, um, how, how have uh, you seen your church use technology? What have you find um, as helpful and, and something you feel like they're going to need? Man and I, our habits on Sunday mornings has been to listen to the, uh, our home church in Michigan and our home church here in Phoenix because they, they're the time, the way Time zone difference works here where it, it, it's good. We, we finish one and start the other. But their approaches are very, very different to their online service. It's, uh, in a way, it's like, you know, watching the old, um, some of the old movies where, you know, it's, it, they, were, uh, they, they, were, they were filming a play on stage. Uh, and, you know, look at movies today, that's not, that's not the approach. And I see it very, very similar thing work out. Our home church in Michigan, a little larger. There were many steps ahead in technology, and uh, their Sunday morning presentation is a pre-recorded, uh, edited uh, program for video. But it's still, they give a nice personal feel. You know, they have one of the high schoolers reading all the church announcements and dressed up like a newscaster, and you know, it's there's still a family feel to it. But uh, our home church here in Phoenix, uh, they've approached it as um, we're going to we're going to keep doing the worship service just without as many people there, and we'll, we'll and you tune in and kind of just like you are sitting there in the sanctuary. So again, two two different approaches. Obviously, the second one is the easier one, and both uh, both work as, as long as the internet works. You know, right, <laughs> so, right. Uh, uh, the um, I, I look around at, uh, not everybody has their video cameras on, uh, but as I scanned those of you who do, most of you are, uh, are like me. Uh, some of us 
are digital immigrants, and very few of us are digital natives, like uh, you know, like our kids and some other generations uh, coming up. And I've kind of feel like, well, I've learned the language, kind of, but I still don't really get it. It's kind of still kind of a cross-cultural thing to me with all the, the uh, uh, you know, I, but I, I, I've learned it out of survival, which I think that some of us are experiencing that. I would, uh, 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 Zenaida is, I don't know if she's listening in or not, but uh, uh, she may chuckle at this. Uh, as, uh, I knew Zenaida when we moved to Orlando, or the, the General Assembly office moved to Orlando. <clears throat> uh, when I first started working with the Assembly in 1998, uh, our internet connection was via phone line, and we had this strange contraption in a closet uh, that looked like an octopus. Uh, that uh, you know, it's from Detroit, so maybe that's one of the things they threw on the on the ice at the Stanley Cup Finals. But uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was this octopus-looking thing that allowed three of us in this 15-person office to be on online at the same time. And you know, woe be it to you if you forgot to log off and uh, after you checked your email and. You know, now look what you know. Look what we're able to do. So, and, and uh, it was it was kind of a survival thing for you know, for years. I was the one who knew the most, which is not saying much. Uh, knew the most about the technology. So, uh, fortunately, we it uh, it's so far surpassed me that we were able to we were able to bring some experts uh, on staff and, and make make the leaps forward that we we needed to. But uh, yeah, we've uh, our small group has continued to meet. Uh, in fact, we never used to meet in the summer because people scattered. Uh, now we're going to meet all the way through the summer. Um, but that's because we've spent a lot of time together in person. Yeah. It, yeah. Wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't work if we were just trying to mash us all together, I don't think. As a, uh, it would take, we're able to do that because we spent a lot of time together uh, in person. So. Uh, technology. I mean, I, I remember we were when I was in Tucson in 19. Uh, this would have been uh, early 1990s. We had one guy in the church who was uh, into this brand new thing called the World Wide Web, and he convinced me that um, uh, this was going to replace the yellow pages. Uh, and very, very few people believed that. But I said, you know what? I think you're right. Um, I didn't know how to do it, but he, there were a couple of people in, in, in the church, the small church there that got us online, and we were one of the early churches to have an internet presence. Uh, it wasn't much, uh, but you know, guess what? Uh, who goes to the Yellow Pages anymore? Mm -hmm. So, you know, so here, here we are. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, to, uh, to Josh's point, too, uh, in terms of natives versus immigrants, that's, that's a... It's a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, I watch my my grandkids, uh, who are seven and three, and they are at, at a level of technology expertise that I wish yeah. I had now, <laughs> because they're they're doing it. And so that's that's what we have to look forward to. That's what we need to plan for uh, in the future. Um, but let's let's switch gears here for a minute. Um, I, I want to come back to uh, something, uh, Josh, that you said about um, access. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about the elephant in the room. All right. Um, 
there's there's always this suspicion that uh, this will be uh, somehow a replacement for uh, personal presence in a worship service, that people will do Sunday morning on the couch, and that uh, this will, you know, damage uh, our connection and fellowship. And, um, and it will only tap into, as there was a question earlier, a tap into the idea of, of people being consumers um, of religious content. So, you know, how, how do we dispel that? How do we address that among our leadership? And how do we communicate that, uh, a, a more positive approach to it uh, among our, our churches? And uh, Josh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick that back to you to start us off on that. Um, have you experienced that and had any conversations around those lines? Yeah, a little bit. Um, the, the, the two things I, I often kind of lean into is, is first, um, as I was kind of alluding to, you can't, you can't replace fellowship. Um, you can't replace community. And, and I think one of the realities that we're going to be coming out of with COVID is kind of this, it's going to be this dichotomy of um, where we're going to be working against some uh, asceticism here a bit. Uh, people just needing to get pulled out of these patterns of lethargy. Um, but I think we're also at a beautiful place in the church where people are going to be aching, aching for community because they haven't had it. Um, and so the flip side of that, and the second piece I, 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 I've said to our church is, um, if we're not the kind of church that on Sunday morning makes you want to be there and you think you can get everything from it on a, off of a screen, maybe we need to change what we're doing on Sunday morning. Mm. Mm. So. Mm. More questions. Right, more questions, exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so, Scott, how, what do you think about that? As you talk to the, uh, the rural pastors that you interact with, um, do you sense a sense of fear and a trepidation on this? You know, I, I think it's just a recognition that uh, for many people, even now, the freedom to go back to a service, if that's been limited in your area, um, there's, I think a lot of the pastors, even though they worry about that, they also are aware that people will come back in drips. There's, there's people who are afraid mm -hmm. still, nervous still, don't quite know what to believe. They keep hearing conflicting information. And so I think there's still a lot of caution surrounding uh, gatherings. Um, there are other people, obviously, I mean, you run the whole gamut of people who may never go back people who couldn't wait and were at the door the day it opened. Uh, but I think there's a, a larger group of people who are just kind of in a wait and see. And I, and my sense is that in talking to some of these other guys that, that I, I totally agree with what Josh said there, there has to be something about Sunday morning that we communicate and they communicate that speaks to what it is to be in live fellowship and live interdependency and I think it is a good evaluative process to say is that the kind of place that is compelling to be here to be here at this place and uh, but I do think that most pastors I've, I've talked with and some of the guys I talk with that talk with hundreds of pastors as well is uh, they have quite a bit of confidence that it may be slow but it's going to happen there will be a return uh, once people get over the fear mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so Doug, um, any conversations along these lines the, among your leaders? Any any sense of uh, worry about this? Yeah, we sure have, and it it um, it really centers along the timeline of this because what we've experienced in the last two weeks of being open is what Scott called the drip. That's definitely what we've seen, and so we're 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 really now talking about. Um, how do we communicate that in-person community and being a part of each other's lives in person is fundamental to the life and work of the church versus this, what we hope is a relatively temporary reality of, of being um, separated into some watching at home, a few coming to the service, and I think it's going to boil down to the way in which we articulate that from the pulpit, that, that this is not, this is not our long-term, we're not settling into a live stream service where we're just okay with everyone being at home. Now I'm saying that in the midst of um, us being open for two weeks, having a, a less than a third of our congregation return and now Florida beginning to spike again with, um, with infections. So I, I don't know what the next week, two weeks, month is going to look like, but I know that, that we, we really have to probably be more concerned than we usually are about the fact that this is not, um, I hate to use the word normal, but this, this is not the way community typically works. Um, for those of you worshiping at home, we are glad that you are connected to us. We're glad that you're a part of our worshiping community, but we need each other in a, in a much more fundamental way than just you tuning in via internet on Sunday morning. So maybe the first step is just what you call the elephant in the room, just naming it, saying, hey, th this is not the ideal. This is not what we're striving for. Um, and even if this lasts six, eight, 10, 12 months, this is still not normal. We can't, we can't call this normal. So I think that's what I'm working toward now is being able to, to communicate that this is a very good thing to be connected virtually now. But um, I, I hope you don't, I hope you don't think this is um, where you're going to settle. I, I hope you see it as something more significant, which, which speaks to one of um, Joshua's other points, which I, I think was really poignant about the access that, you know, now we have access to more people mm -hmm. and, and, and more people are connecting. We, we've seen a handful of people connect to our service that have never visited our church before. And the, the real compelling and big question is, uh, we've reached out to them as first-time visitors, but it's very awkward because it's, we haven't met them. We haven't really seen them or, you know, spoken to them in person. So uh, we, we don't want to develop a whole new system of um, welcoming virtual uh, new visitors versus welcoming new in-person visitors. We just want to welcome visitors with the trajectory of, we're, we're an in-person church. That's our norm. 
And uh, we don't know when we're going to get back to that or how we're going to get back to that, but there, there's no substitute for that. Yeah. So, yeah. so can I, can I say something to that? Sure. Um, I, I think it's very important to recognize uh, one of the difficulties that, you know, people had just in visiting a church is they wanted some level of anonymity made it very difficult. Uh, if you walk into a small church to be anonymous, but they wanted anonymity simply because they, they kind of wanted to, to see how things were before they would begin any kind of committed dialogue uh, with a, even a dialogue with someone, much less commitment. And I think what people tune in to us electronically over our website, over Facebook Live, over the, the various formats that are out there, we have to be actually careful of responding to them because they, a lot of people think that they're still anonymous at that stage. A lot of people don't recognize that you actually can tell who's tuning in. You, you have some information or contact information on them. And we have to be careful that we allow that anonymity, even over this, to exist and let them reach out to us uh, as, as, we, um, as, as, they, as they check us out. If they get interested, they will reach out to us. Mm -hmm. So it's just, just a caveat out there. And that, sure. that's a good word, Scott, because we, we, we have been very hesitant to reach out to people who have, who have joined us via live stream. And we've only reached out after their third or fourth right. uh, connection with us. And, and just, just, to, just something very, hey, noticed you've tuned in for the last several weeks um, and then leave it, leave it to them for that connection. But you're exactly right. That's a that's like I was saying, that's a totally different kind of visitor, completely mm -hmm. different kind of visitor. Yeah. So, so let's move. Um, I, I think uh, what, what I'm hearing and I think what's been emphasized here is we, we have to have these kinds of conversations among ourselves as leaders, ruling elders, teaching elders. Let's just talk about this and let's get that sense out there. What, what people are really feeling and communicate the fact that this is supplemental. This, this is not the foundation of our ministry, the, the online presence. It is supplemental, and there are strategic and creative uses for this that get us to that point. Now, coming back to what Josh talked about in terms of access, okay? Um, someone once uh, described it um, as the front porch uh, to our church. Or as Josh said, you know, people, uh, you know, without storming the doors of Mordor, um, you know, they get a chance to see who you are. So let me throw this to you, Zach, in terms of, of um, how have you guys had conversations and how do you see this as access uh, to people in your community? Is that, uh, have you experienced people uh, following you, liking you, following the, the services online? Um, and, and what are the conversations that you've been having around that going, for going forward? Uh, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. A young a young couple just um, just became part of our congregation. Not they didn't become members, but they 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 made it known they want to be regular attenders. And we had never met them before. Uh, They've been listening online for I guess six or seven weeks, and then they reached out. And then since then we've met with them, you know, and. Um, I just personally introduced them. I, I asked them, may I, you know, they say, how do we get connected? Well, we do have these Bible studies online, you know, uh, right now. 
uh, may, may I just introduce you to, to a handful of people? And they, and that happened. And uh, there's a sense that in our particular situation, we'll continue once, once we get back, once we get on the other side of COVID, this is now part of our ministry. And I think what we're learning as we're reading uh, is to what Scott was saying, we, we just have to name this, name the vision or what you just said, Roy, about um, strategic. We have a strategic purpose. So I think our language is going to be something. We're, we didn't create this. We're seeing it in other places. Our language would be something like, you know, we have a vision to uh, meet you uh, where you are online in the hope that we can uh, get to know each other offline. And so, and we just name that we recognize people who are sick are able to tune in. Uh, people who are um, chronically uh, uh, sick can tune in. Uh, we may have a different view of a snow day on a Sunday, um, <laughs> still still access for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who are traveling, uh, they can still tune in. And then to have a category for the visitor, the front porch visitor, and probably to have language to say, you know, if you're visiting with us, we're, we're so glad that you are. We're, we, we're thankful to be able to just meet you where you are. We hope you'll feel safe enough. Um, um, in time to come, they take a risk and and uh, come visit with us. And I think the other thing we're learning is to go ahead and give a couple of avenues, you know, on ramps, verbally to say, um, uh, even to say the smallest thing. Like if you've been if you've been listening in for a while, and it feels it feels uh, too risky to take the whole step, um, but you want to take a small step. Here's a way you can do that, and. Uh, and in essence, we're naming, we're naming the 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 directions yeah. from online to offline, and um, that's good. So we're trying to learn, you know that. That's great. That's good. I'm gonna open it up. Uh, those of you who are uh, here, if you have a question, the chat is open. So if you if you wanted to ask a question specifically of the group. Um, and while you're doing that, I'm going to ask another question, and it'll be a little bit of what I want to wrap up with when we get to that point is is you can be thinking about this team now. Is that um, what aspect of uh, technology do you think that the ordinary church needs to consider embracing uh, coming out of this? What's the one thing that that you feel would be really critical? either an approach or a particular kind of, of technological um, of work that we do. But in before we get there and the questions come, um, what's one challenge that you've had? Um, I, I, what's, it can be funny or it can be sad. <laughs> what's one challenge that you have faced in, in getting ramped up for this and, and getting uh, connected online with, with your congregation? And I'm just going to throw that open to the team. Whoever's got a story to tell about that, it's always good to to share our our uh, our challenges. So, well, uh, wires are everywhere. You know what 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 uh, you got a soundboard connected to a screen connected to whatever, and someone has to know where all those cords are. And there's a moment <laughs> where I'm speaking to the you know in real time live streaming, and I see our associate Joe over to the side and he's moving all around. I'm still trying to speak. He's coming up to the camera. He's going back. And, um, and it turned out there was no sound. So I was just speaking with no sound. 
Uh, and then we got the sound back on, but I didn't know how long I'd been speaking with no sound. I wasn't sure how far to back up or whatever like that. And um, anyway, we afterward, after the, you know, he and I were talking and, uh, and one other assistant was there. And uh, they said that in that moment, Joe was saying to the assistant, I need to find, uh, I need, I need a, the, the blue cord and uh or something like that or i need the black cord or the blue cord and the assistant's just looking at this pile of cords and <laughs> you know they all they all look the same so um anyway as we were just getting started we didn't know what we were doing and uh trying to create these interfaces it it's um we, we have a little bit better handle on it now but in the beginning then yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> good good anybody else got a story well, ours is similar to Zach's in that um, our sound booth happens to be in the balcony, and and the and the stairs down to the pole, you know, are are in the chancel area. So, so the length of the sanctuary between the the sound booth and the pulpit is it's just this hilarious um, clump, 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 down the stairs to the pulpit. Check. Don't know what the problem is. Back up the stairs, clump, 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 all the way down to the end of the sanctuary, back into the sound booth. And this is just the, this is the rhythm of Sunday morning, trying to figure out. And, and our service starts at 1030. And to create a live stream, we are dead in the water till 1029. And I don't know how we pull it off every week, but every Sunday brings this new, uh, something doesn't work challenge that um, seems to create a uh, not so conducive to worship feeling in the, in the room. So right. that is, mm. uh, that is every week, every week. Yeah. I'll, I'll give a sad thing. Um, and this has come from, I, I felt it in myself, um, but I've also had just a lot of other pastors discuss this as well. It, it's something I'm starting to call content creation guilt. Um, that I'm not creating enough content. I'm not churning out enough this. We're not doing enough of that. I don't know how to do it. I barely even know how to use my camera on my computer. Um, I see these guys doing this and we're not doing that. And I don't, it, it's just this, I think, and it kind of corresponds a little bit like what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with decision fatigue. Um, it's just, it builds and it builds and it builds. And I, I think, well, it, well, I don't know what to think actually. I, and maybe that's just, I'm, I'm stuck somewhere right now. And what does that mean? And what is that going to mean coming out of this um, for, for folks uh, where we've, We've measured our performance based on what we can churn out online. Um, I think, I don't know what it's gonna be yet, but I have a feeling there will be some after effects, um, whether it's just simple burnout, um, or it will be people, people with a, a sense of urgency that's just not really meant for their church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and I'll tell you that we face that in, in our ministry. Uh, if you get on Facebook or any of the social media platforms, everybody is on out there. There are so many voices. And so for, for, uh, for a church, you can be a little more um, 
you know, you're trying to keep the connections going and uh, it's a little more focused, but boy, uh, trying to create all that content and keep up with everybody and, and how much stuff's out there. We, we had to really decide um, what was our niche? What was the one thing that we could say that, um, cause a lot of people are saying a lot of things and, and it, we've actually backed off on our um, content just because uh, you, you just can't keep up. So it's a challenge. It really is. Yeah. I, you know, in my talking with a lot of different pastors, I talked <clears throat> with Donaldson who heads up Real Compassion. We serve well over 2,000 congregations. And so we do, we've been doing a lot of talking in rural areas. I want to tap in to what Josh said a while back. And he said, how good does it have to be? So, and, and some people fear they can be, you know, I, I was asked to, I was invited to Facebook for an interview on something they're doing and to evaluate it. I noticed signs all around there that said better done than perfect, better done than perfect. And I took a picture of it even because it doesn't, the pressure to, well, what are we going to do? How much can we add? Where can we go? All of that really builds, but it's better done than perfect. Secondly, I talk to people and say, look, just be who you are when you're normal outside of this setting. Because what you create over the internet has to reflect who you truly are. Because when this thing goes and people say they may want to come, this is still who you now need to be. So if you want to create a different persona for the internet versus what you are in real life, you're going to have a problem when this thing begins to pass. And so um, be simple in terms of production. If you tune into someone like a uh, you know, purpose-driven guy, I just lost his name, went out of my brick warren. If you watch him on Sundays, it's just one camera with him standing there talking to the camera. No three-camera thing, no fancy transitions, him in front of a camera. Very simple, very clean, very well done. You can do the same. It, it, be simple, be who you are, be consistent with your nature so that when this thing moves through, you're still who you are and people won't be surprised at the distinction between what was on the computer and what's in your sanctuary. Yeah, yeah. good. I gotta tell you, I agree completely with what Scott's saying because I, from personal experience, about a month ago, I needed to get a message out to our congregation via email and it was either gonna be in print or someone, I had been given advice that if you do this in a video form, it will be much more effective. 17 takes on a simple two minute video. And I gotta tell you, the only reason um, I stopped at 17 was because I had to be somewhere else. And it was Bush League, B-movie. <laughs> I was not even, even an ounce uh, pleased with it. And, um, and I got more comments that the, the people of the congregation were thankful that I took the time to personally be engaged. And so you, you got to stop worrying about the quality. And I, just like Scott and Josh said, easy is the best. It's, it's the, uh, your, your content is going to matter way more than your uh, production polish. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. So, um, yeah, someone made a comment, be consistent and be dependable. If it is uh, one time a week, make sure it's always one time a week. 
you know, whatever it is that you're doing, a church service or a small group meeting or whatever. So that's that's good. All right. So uh, no more questions at this point. So I'm just going to throw it out there. We're going to do this uh, as we move towards wrapping it up. Um, what's the one thing? And uh, Josh, I'm just going to start with you. Uh, what aspect of technology do you think the small or normal church, the ordinary church, needs to uh, embrace going forward coming out of this? Yeah, this is, uh, for me, this is the obvious one. Um, and that is, a, is, is just a web presence. Um, and I know that for, for some that feels like, oh, that's obvious. Well, of course we would have a web page. And then for some, it's like, oh, I don't even know where to begin. How much does that even cost? And I'm, I'm going to tell you, we get to talk about this a lot, the life cycle of churches. And in the small church world, that life cycle moves really fast, especially if you're looking at your, your ages and your church and you're thinking, in 10 years, who's still going to be here? Um, the people who are looking at your church right now need to know that they can look at you first. And, and I just wholeheartedly believe that. And I, I'm saying it as a, uh, as a kind of millennial Gen Xer. Um, you know, I, I, I can't buy a pair of shoes without reading the reviews online first. Um, I most definitely don't want to invest in a community if I don't know who I'm looking at and I don't know a little bit about them. That's extremely intimidating. And if you're looking at maybe bringing your whole family into a place, that's, that ratches all those questions up infinitely higher. Um, and so I would say that small churches, we, we do extremely well, even if it's simple, even if it's basic, just get a web presence. And, and it can even start with just your Facebook page. Um, mm. But get out there and let people see you. Yeah, good. Ed, I'm going to come around to you. What do you uh, What do you see? What do you think? Uh, sure. Well, I, I think we, I think we need to work on the technology so we can smell what Dave Moody is cooking back there. Oh, uh, I, some of I you don't can have see it on my so, screen. Looking, looking good. I hope it tastes good too. So <laughs> <laughs> we haven't advanced that far in technology yet. <laughs> uh, I I would. Uh, uh, go along with, with Josh in terms of uh, if there's if I if I were forced to say one thing, um, I would say it's it's the web presence. Um, perhaps one B would be the uh, social media presence. Um, but uh, I was weighing that back and forth. I think that's even more important than uh, than the video uh, stuff. If okay. Forced to do one thing. Um, so. Okay. Good. All right, we got two and votes if, for the. If you, do, if you do a web presence, it's amazing. We, we I search a lot of uh, church websites. It's amazing how far you have to dig, in in a lot of in a lot of sites to find out when does the church worship, and who is the pastor. It's um, uh, you know to me those things should be right up front. You know what, wh when do you meet? Where do you meet? And who's who's the uh, who are the main leaders? Who's the pastor? Um, Mm -hmm. Those those things amazingly are buried in so many sites. So right. anyway, there you go. Yeah, good. All right, uh, Zach. I'd say the same that's already been said, and I would just add that when you when you have a Facebook page or a web page, to try to imagine your other than Christian friend 
is going to look at that page. So try to uh, if if uh, see it as part of our. I know it, it, it's giving information that um, you know maybe members need and things like that, but to see it as part of our outreach. Um, and so try to so ask ask an 18 year old and a 25 year old if the, if you happen to have any uh, in your church or uh, ask a uh, a friend down the street that you is a, not a Christian um, and ask them to look at what you're preparing and what what do they see like what message are are they receiving you know by that so good okay scott what do you think i i think here we are on 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 a web uh, you know cameras and we're all talking about web pages the but it is important a couple of things i just add to that on your very opening page first page not as a menu item first page church address church contact number see times of services First page, not a menu, not a drop-down. Name of the pastor always helps. Maybe a picture. If it's me, you're ugly, you don't want your picture, put an attractive picture up there. But make it right there in front. Second, make sure every link works. Because what's going to happen is people will come to your web page as the portal to your live stream. So make sure every connection works and make sure you check it every week to make sure that all of those links work and have those links on the very first page. You know, visit us online, live stream, right on the very front page. If many will only have one page, but if you've got more than one page, those are the key information pieces to have on your first page. Your name, church's name, meeting times, address, email, any absolutely important and every link works to where it's going and you will uh, reap a benefit of reward for that. Hmm. Interesting. All right, Doug? Well, I'll be the uh, caboose on this train um, because I, I believe they're all right. Um, I'll simplify it by saying, if your um, landing page doesn't answer the question, who are we, then you're coming up short. And that may be a link to a live stream service that may be a link to all of the pertinent information that's been message, uh, mentioned in the past. That may be uh, a, a, a simple statement of uh, what we're about and who we are in this community, but you have got to be able to capture on that landing page a significant answer to the question, who are we? Hmm. Good, that's good. So I'm going to I'm going to put out a, a word here and I'm going to get all of the uh, uh, stated clerks of the presbyteries in trouble here um, that uh, one of the things that uh, Josh mentioned was getting presbytery help uh, for creating web pages and, and, and finding those resources within the presbyteries. All of you are listening. Uh, if you should go and write an email tomorrow if you need help with a website and ask your presbytery who it is it that, that, that can be helpful in that area to, to get this up and going. Um, there, there's probably a ton of people who'd be willing to give you uh, some help with that. So uh, I'd strongly encourage, that's what we're all about, right? That's the connectionalism. 
we got to help one another. And I think it's important to do that. So uh, I will, uh, plausible deniability there. I never said that except that it is being recorded. Um, all right. Uh, I just want to thank you guys uh, to the team, especially for all the hard work you've put into this and helping me uh, organize this beast. And uh, to all of you who have been uh, with us the last four weeks, thank you. We really wanted to be, this to be helpful for you. We were hoping to do this at GA in some form, um, uh, although the topic would have likely been different, but this is what the Lord presented us with. And if, uh, if it's been helpful to you, then we've uh, accomplished our goal and our purpose. So I uh, just want to make sure that we wrap up with the idea that uh, don't, um, don't shy away from the technology. Uh, find creative ways to have the conversation, talk about it because it is a thing that's going to be with us going forward, but how are you going to use it? What's its purpose? And uh, the access piece, at least in my mind, is really critical to see this as a front porch and a portal for people to understand who you are. As Doug was just saying, what you can do on your website. So uh, again, thank you so much uh, for being with us.